think it's a joke or it's a story or it's a lie even. And so answering the question, why should I believe in Jesus, is a very important question for us to answer. Like Ryan said, to be able to answer this question for our children's sake, for our neighbor's sake, for our co-workers, for really anyone and everyone who's in our sphere of influence, those people that are in our lives, we should be able to converse with them and give them an honest answer as to why they should believe in Jesus. So I'm going to take one approach and, and maybe give you, some, hopefully give you some, uh, some, some things that you can hang other truth on, but uh, there are various approaches to answering this question. So, why should I believe in Jesus? Well, number one, Jesus was a historical person. And so we believe in Jesus like we believe in George Washington. He was a true individual who walked the earth. So why believe in Jesus? Because he was real. And history speaks of a man named Jesus, and we just shouldn't be shy about that. As much as uh, history will speak of other men and women who existed, Jesus existed Number two, Jesus said some pretty serious things about himself, and he made some serious claims about himself. And the claims he made leave everyone who hears them at a crossroads, a place of deciding what they believe about Jesus. So everyone who hears the claims that Jesus made come to a crossroads. Jesus really confronts all of us with the the truth of who he is every time these, uh, these claims are brought before our ears and our hearts. And, and so, what are some of those claims? Well, Jesus himself claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the Son of God. And, and that's serious. <laughs> he, he claimed to be, uh, literally, God in flesh. And so, here's what Jesus did when he was on the earth. He healed the lame, the, ble- the, the blind, the deaf, and the mute. He forgave sin. He controlled nature. He held authority over demons and even power over death raising a little girl to life and and others to life. He talked about himself as if he were God. Listen to John chapter 10, verse 31 through 33. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Oh, we're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And, And notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't say in response, oh, no, 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 you got me all wrong. Put those stones down. Uh, That's not what I'm saying. that's That's not his response. Instead, he says in John 10, 37 through 38, do not believe me unless I do my father. Do what my father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. John 11, verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. I am the bread of life, the door, the good shepherd, the light of the world, the true vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus saw himself as the fulfillment of prophetic expectation of the Old Testament. I mean, who talks like this and gets away with it? And so we come face to face with, with his words. And we have to wrestle with his words. We have, to, we have to really respond with our whole lives to what he says about himself. Or, or we dismiss it as, as just a lie, as maybe the talk of a crazy man. Um, John 8, verse 50, 58, he was claiming an eternal preexistence where he says, before Abraham was, I am. Here, this would be just absolute blasphemy. 
I mean, this is blasphemous because, well, it's, it's either blasphemous or it's just crazy talk for a man to be saying, before Abraham was, I am. To basically claim pre-existence. To basically make himself equal with the great I am of Exodus chapter 3. Yahweh, who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush when Yahweh says, or Moses says, who do I say sent me? And Yahweh speaks to him and says, I am who I am. That's who's sending you. And Jesus is saying, before Abraham was, I am. And they're laughing and they're saying, what, you're not even, you know, 50 years old. How can you say this? Again, they, they picked up stones. They, they, they said he was speaking blasphemous words. Jesus, he talked about himself as if he were God. There's no doubt about it. Equal with the Father. Jesus was worshipped and spoken of as God by his followers. And we see this in, um, really, many of the New Testament writers. But we, we have testimony from Thomas, his disciple, after the resurrection. My Lord, my God, he falls down and worships before him. We have testimony from Peter, uh, Paul, John. John, it's, it's a fascinating uh, thing that he does in John 12 he, he equates him with the, the vision of Yahweh in Isaiah 6. Uh, you can look at it later if you read John 12. Uh, his mom and his brothers worship him after the resurrection. And God the Father tells us to worship Jesus in Hebrews 1.6. All of heaven is worshiping Jesus in Revelation 5. Do we have two gods here? We have one God. One God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the Son of God. He's worshipped and spoken of as God. This is what Jesus said about himself, and this is how his followers responded to him after his resurrection. So what do we do with it? You know, I was talking to someone um, a while back uh, at Best Buy, actually, and, and he said, you know, God just hasn't revealed enough about himself. And I said, man, he's revealed enough about himself that demands a response from every one of us. There's enough that he's revealed about himself that requires and really demands a response from all of us. And so Jesus, who is the Son of God, God who, who's taken on this stuff, who's who's entered our world. We see the Father in the face of Christ. Fully man, fully God. He made some serious claims about himself. Third, why should we believe in Jesus and really specifically as the Son of God? Well, because it's true and it's reasonable. And I I, I just think we should be very um, clear with those that we're speaking to and, and unashamed. Oh, this is truth, and it's reasonable to believe this truth. Truth should matter to all of us. Truth is what accurately describes reality. Truth is reality. So no matter how many opinions there are out there, if Jesus truly is the Son of God, the opinions and the jokes others have make no difference at all. You tracking with me? If he truly is the Son of God, then anyone else's opinion about him and if they disagree with that if it's true well then that doesn't matter 
I'm, I'm concerned with... I, I, truth, it's, it concerns me. I, I think uh, we should all be very concerned that others are introduced to the truth. And so we want to take people by the hand and introduce them to the truth. The truth about who God is in, in Christ Jesus. And there's a story in Acts 25 and 26 and, and surrounding about Paul and how he makes this, uh, this appeal to Caesar because, well, the Jews hated him. They, they had him imprisoned and they were accusing him for a number of things. But he makes an appeal to Caesar and he has this opportunity to speak in front of a number of government officials. And basically, he has spent the last two years in prison. He was accused of teaching against the Jews, against their laws, against their place of worship. He was handed over to the newly appointed governor Festus by his predecessor Felix. Governor Festus doesn't understand the charges brought against Paul. And now Paul has appealed to Caesar. And so Festus, though, has nothing of any value to write Caesar concerning the case. You see, Paul's accusers didn't come with the charges that Governor Festus actually expected. Instead, Scripture tells us in Acts 25, 19, and and you can turn there if you have your Bibles, uh, it says, instead, they had some points of dispute about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. And isn't that what it comes down to? (laughs) We, We have some points of dispute about a dead man whom Paul claimed was alive. When we stand before others and we we speak of Jesus, we're, we're speaking of this one who has come and has made himself known to us and provided a way for us to be right before the Father and is alive forevermore. We're speaking of a resurrected king. Making some pretty, claims, pretty serious claims about Jesus. Well, King Herod Agrippa II arrived to pay respect to Festus. And Festus describes his dilemma regarding Paul And now Agrippa wants to hear Paul for himself. And Festus needs something to write to the emperor, to report to the emperor. And if you remember anything about the um, uh, Herods of Scripture, we have uh, uh, basically Agrippa's great-grandfather was Herod the Great who built the city they were in in the temple that stood in Jesus' day. This was a paranoid king known for his killing sprees. And he's the one who tried to kill baby Jesus. So that's, that's his, grandfa- his great-grandfather. His grandfather was Herod Antipas. He was the one who beheaded John the Baptist, the one Jesus called uh, that fox. And his father, Agrippa I, killed James, the son of Zebedee, with the sword. So here Paul now has an opportunity to stand before King Herod Agrippa II who has quite the history. (laughs) And he considered it a real honor. He considered himself fortunate to stand before this king and make his defense. Now picture on one side, great pomp. I mean, red carpet rolled out. Paparazzi taking photos. Just style, popularity, short-lived authority. This is the who's who of the city high-ranking officials, leading men, along with Paul's accusers, the Jews, they're all there. That's on one side. Picturing it? On the other side, I want you to picture Paul. Nothing extraordinary to look at. In fact, he's in chains, not nearly as dressed for the occasion as the rest. And here's what happens. 
Acts 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. We learned about that this morning. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? It, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And a goad is like a, a spiked stick. It, it drives maybe cattle into action. It gets people moving. And so this, this word is, Paul, why are you kicking against uh, the goads and this, this spiked stick? Then I, I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, the Lord replied. Imagine that right there, that moment for Paul. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Everything in, 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 in Paul's heart and mind, just everything was turned around. Like he was fighting against the way. He was fighting against Christianity. He knew all the prophecies. He knew the law and what it said. And this Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah, the anointed one, appears to him and says, you're persecuting me. And in that instant, Paul knew everything was gonna change. Everything was gonna change. Everything had to change. What he thought was a lie was true. Now get up, he says, and stand on your feet. Jesus is speaking. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Remember where Paul is. I mean, he's before this great crowd and he is telling his story. We can do that, right? We can tell our story. We can do that of how we encountered Jesus and how he changed our hearts forever. Verse 19, so then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then in those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also, 
I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. This or that is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen that the Christ, the anointed one, would suffer. And as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Man, the boldness, the courage, the confidence, the zeal. Someone just called him out as insane. I'm not insane. He says, no, 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 this is true and reasonable. And the king is familiar with this, and the king would have been. None of this has escaped his notice. It's not been done in a corner. We can say the same thing. What we believe about Jesus being the Son of God is true and reasonable. It it hasn't happened in a corner. Paul, in saying that this didn't happen in a corner, that this, I mean, he's talking about the life, the trial, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. All this didn't happen in a corner. He's talking about the word of the prophets of Israel having come true in Jesus. And all their longing and anticipation met in Jesus. He's talking about the transformed lives of good, faithful Jews who believed in a single, supreme, personal God. It was blasphemy to suggest that any human should be worshipped. Yet countless Jews began worshipping Jesus after his resurrection. After the resurrection of Jesus, his followers believed he was more than a man. But he he was God in human form. They gave their lives for it. None of this has happened in a corner. And we can boldly say that as we explain that, listen, this is true and reasonable. What are you going to do with the words of Jesus? Let's not go to Jesus as a fuzzy kind of make-believe Jesus that we kind of create in our minds, but let's look at the Jesus of the Bible and see what he says about himself. love what he says here in verse 24 and 25 most specifically 25 and on i'm not insane what i'm saying is true and reasonable the king is familiar with these things i can speak freely to him and then he says king agrippa do you believe he challenges the king in in front of everybody "I, i know you do then agrippa said to paul do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a christian paul replied short time or long i pray i pray god that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Paul was put on trial that day. But he tells them about a day that he was actually put on trial 
in front of Christ Jesus, the King. And that day transformed his life forever. And that day made every other trial look like nothing. And now Agrippa is being put on trial. Through the words and proclamation of Paul, Agrippa and all those who are listening, they're being put on trial before Christ the King. They're hearing the good news of Jesus laid out for them. The story of redemption, the story of prophecies been met in Christ. And they're being put on trial before the true king. And in verse 29, when Paul cries out, oh, I want you to be what I am except for these chains, we hear the heart cry of a truly free man. He had the chains on, and he was a truly free man in Christ Jesus. It's true and it's reasonable. Why should you believe in Jesus? Number four, because it's the way out of slavery and the way into a relationship with God. Paul knew it, and we know it. History speaks of a man named Jesus. Prophecy has been fulfilled in Jesus. Lives have been changed and transformed through Jesus. Persecution is constant. Christians were misunderstood back in the day, believed, uh, you know, being superstitious and even anarchists and cannibals. That's what people believed the Christians were because they ate the body and drank the blood of Christ. The church continues to be misunderstood. The church continues to be persecuted, but the church continues to grow. You can't stop it. The unstoppable gospel, the unstoppable mission of God through his people. Salvation is found in Jesus. Finally, why should you believe in Jesus? Number five, because you need a savior just like I do. And nothing matters more than how you respond to Jesus. Nothing. So to review, number one, Jesus was a historical person and we believe in him like we believe in George Washington. But that belief goes further. Because Jesus, number two, said some pretty serious things about himself. He made some pretty serious claims. And we come face to face with those claims. Every time we see what he says in scripture and every time we have the great honor to speak his claims and speak what he said to others. Number three, because it's true and reasonable. Number four, because it's the way out of uh, slavery and a way into a relationship with God. And finally, because you need a savior just like I do. When we have a heart like Paul, where we just, that's what we want. I mean, we might be on trial. I mean, we might be, uh, we're just free, like we are today, mowing our yard. But we want our neighbor to know Jesus. We want our, our, our relatives to know Jesus. We, we just, it's in us. It's just this growing zeal and passion. And we're, we want to work on ways to, to really articulate what we believe. We want to find passages that we can lift up and proclaim stories like this where i don't even need to look at acts 25 and uh 20 you know 24 through 26 i don't even need to look at this in scripture to tell it it's a narrative it's a story that i can remember and hide in my heart and just share with others or what jesus himself said or taking people by the hand through a gospel and i love the gospel of mark for those of you who know me, I promote the Gospel of Mark quite a bit. It's the shortest gospel, 16 chapters. It's fast-paced. It's like the action um, movie of gospels. It just moves from one scene to the next very quickly. And, and I love what it does. 
from chapter 1 to chapter 8, it spends eight chapters uh, helping us see the identity of Jesus. Who is Jesus? It's answering that question. It begins in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's the prop statement right there. That's what this is about. There's just, there's no beating around the bush here. Mark gets right to it. This is the beginning of the good news, the gospel about Jesus Christ, Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of God. So right away we see this. And then in Mark 15, 39, the centurion who's standing at the cross, the foot of the cross and sees the way Jesus dies. He says, surely this man was the son of God. And so we have these bookends. This is the gospel about the son of God. And the centurion is standing there saying, surely this was the son of God. And then the first eight chapters of Mark, it's just working on helping us see the identity of Jesus and who he really, really is. And then from chapter nine all the way to 16, it slows down and we see the last week of Jesus's life. And that's on purpose. It's the mission of Jesus. Why did he come? He, he came, Mark ten forty five to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to die. So when you sit down with somebody and say, yeah, man, let's, let's, have you ever read the Bible? Can can we just read a gospel together, an account of Jesus's life and ministry? Would you be willing to do that with me? Whether it's Mark or Luke or John, whichever you pick, I suggest Mark, you, you, you walk through the main sections of the the gospel of Mark that will help them understand. And, and I can give you some more uh, resources to help you do that and ask some questions along the way and say, let's discover Jesus together and let's see what scripture has to say about Jesus. All of us here, if you're a follower of Christ, a disciple of Jesus, all of us are called to make disciples of Jesus. And so not only do we want to have a ready defense when somebody comes knocking on our door and asking us what we believe, it's like, all right, game on. You come into my door, you're going you're gonna to hear something. You know, I'll take up some time so you don't talk to my neighbor about this junk. So um, it's, all right, you want to hear the gospel, I guess, you know. Um, but that's an opportunity. Or if it's as, as you're interacting with anybody, you want to have a ready defense. You want to be able to articulate what you believe about Jesus, sharing just truth with others. You also want to be aware that you could invite people into your life in a very special way. And it might feel awkward at, at first to go and have a conversation with somebody and say, you know, hey, are you interested in maybe reading a book of the Bible together? Have you ever read the Bible? I think you'll be surprised to see how many people have never really read the Bible for themselves. And I think you'll be surprised at how many people would say, yeah, sure, I'll read that with you. Just sharing Jesus with others because it's true and it's reasonable. And we're not ashamed of what's true and reasonable. Well, a lot more could be said. And um, what I'd like to do now is really just close in a word of prayer for this teaching portion, and then we can open up for Q&A. Father, thank you so much for our time tonight. What a privilege to just be able to gather like this and walk through Scripture, be challenged to really know what we believe and have an answer and, and be able to especially answer this very important question about, about Jesus Christ, your Son. Father, you've, you've made it very, very plain who Jesus is, the Son of God, you, your Son, who came to give his life as a ransom, a payment for us. And, and Lord, that truth has changed our lives forever. 
And may we be ready and eager to share this truth with others, inviting people in, whether we have an antagonistic audience like Paul or, or an, an audience that's ready to listen. Lord, help us to be ready to give an answer, an honest answer. In Jesus' name, amen.